Lo distinto te ha encontrado. Esto es Infinita Podcast. Encuentra nuevos episodios cada semana. Suscríbete. Bienvenidos al Titi Podcast. Este es un especial que salió de sorpresa. Gracias a Juan Gabriel que estuvo acá hace poco, el amarro. Eh, este es un... Le vamos a llamar un Blockchain Week Special. Eh, con una persona eh, que tiene mucha, mucha experiencia en, en, en Blockchain. Pues lleva 20 años desarrollando. Eh, se llama Cody Marks Bailey. Uh -huh. Y eh, pues tenemos la dicha de poderlo entrevistar justo antes de que agarre su vuelo de regreso al DF. Entonces, esta entrevista va a ser en inglés, así que eh, suerte. Y cualquier pregunta que tiene, tengan, nos pueden escribir en los chats. Entonces, Cody, thank you for coming here. Yeah, This thank is you for having me. DT Podcast mm -hmm. uh, number 37. Wow, all right. So, um, Cody, let us know a little bit about you. You know, you've, what, what you've been doing, what, what what came... We always try to hear the blockchain origin story of the people we interview, so... Sure, sure. So how, how did I get to where I am today, sort of? Um, yeah, it was uh, real quick background on me. I was uh, born in South Texas um, and uh, born on a ranch, actually the, the third largest ranch in the world, the King Ranch, and uh, didn't really have a whole lot to do growing up in the country. You know, it was a lot of, lot of uh, riding horses and, and looking out over the, over the horizon. Nice. Um, And uh, when I was 10 years old, I, I begged my parents to get me a computer, and, and luckily they they listened, and and uh, so I, I got a computer when I was 10 years old, it's 1990, um, and figured out that there was this little plug on the back where I could plug in a, a, a telephone cable. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, what's going on with this? I'm, I'm 10 years old at the time, so uh -huh. so we uh, so I, I I figured out how to you know issue AT commands to the modem, and then finally got it talking, and then found out what BBSs were. And then got on a couple of BBSs, and then there's bulletin board systems way back in the day. Like we're talking, this is way back. Uh -huh. um, and uh, then figured out, oh, there's this thing called the internet, right? Which wasn't even a household name at the time. And so um, I figured out how to how to set up uh, Trumpet Windsock on my Windows machine, and like figured out how to get this thing connected. And I finally started getting on the internet in like 1990 wow. as a 10-year-old. I have no idea. I mean, this this could have been you know a temporary technology, uh, just a, a stopgap between you know. Um, where we were and where we might be going. And so uh, so I got online and, and found IRC really early and, and sort of got into there. And I kind of abandoned the traditional schooling method. I kind of stopped really paying attention at school. Like all I cared about was getting home to like learn faster and quicker and mm -hmm. explore these uncharted territories. And mm -hmm. and I really didn't know what I was doing at the time. You're 10, I'm 10, 11, 12 years old. You have no idea what you're doing at that time in, in life, really with anything. And... Um, And so, yeah, I got into like, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the hacking stuff, because of course, as a, as a, you know, 15 year old kid, you start getting into like the deviant nature of things. And, hackers and stuff like yeah, that. yeah, I was kind of inspired by all that stuff. And like, um, yeah. I was curious how to break these systems and like how to, how, and it wasn't ever for like nefarious purposes. I was never doing it for ill intent. It was just because I was curious. And that's what curious people do. They break the rules and figure out how to, you know, they take something apart and they put it back together. And so, uh, yeah, so I got into, of course, you know, pirating and stuff because my family didn't have a whole lot of money. So, we, you know, was, I had to get my software somehow. And, and, um, and so that, that stuff went through and, and that, that led me through a lot of things and, um, and sort of 
during that time, you know, most of the innovation on the internet came from necessity. It was people that, you know, wanted to get around the rules, so we developed these really interesting technologies. So things like peer-to-peer networking, you know, and that started off sort of post-Napster when Napster was taken down and, like, our little baby or our little, mm-hmm. little music-sharing service was taken down. Uh, we were like, well, how are we going to get around this? And guys like Bram Cohen and these guys, like, got together and started creating this stuff. Well, I was right there along with them because I was in the same channel on IRC hanging out with these, these guys that were developing this technology. So it's funny, like, getting back into blockchain, there's there's a lot more that goes on in there. There's some free culture stuff that I got involved with. Um, had a couple of uh, articles published in 2600 and stuff like that. It's like a 17-year-old. And, um, and uh, yeah, and so... so People ask me sometimes the question, like, how did you get in, you know, so how long have you been into blockchain? And I tell them, well, about 25 years. And they go, but wait a minute, blockchain's only been around for 10 or 11 years, you know. Uh-huh. And I said, well, you got to look at all the parts that make up blockchain. You know, you've got the, the different layers, the different components of this sort of complex system. And the peer-to-peer networking stuff happened, you know, in the late 90s. Like, we were already trying to figure out how these how these systems would work. Um and then, like the game theory and all the all the different pieces of the cryptography, we were—I mean, I was using different crypto methods back in the mid '90s, you know, not really knowing the power that I had and how the math worked. And, I, and I'm not going to pretend like I know how the math works now. I trust the math, but <laughs> I let the I let the crypto guys like really handle the the, the sophisticated, you know, um, math there. So that's where it kind of kind of you know how I grew up. Um, I've I uh, worked for the NSA for a little while. I've never really had a big um, I've never worked for a company or like really had a job which but somehow I've managed to pay the bills and like managed to stay alive and and uh, and do well in life so um, yeah I just I kind of bounced around I'm autodidactic never went to college um, kind of I hate being told what to do I can be very easily convinced to do something if it's in my mm-hmm. own best interest or if there's an economic incentive or it makes sense but don't tell me what to do don't order me around so, so school was never an option for me but I hung around a lot of really smart people had really great mentors and um, you know there's the there's the technology side I, I know approximately 20-25 different languages and once you pick up three or four different programming languages picking up a fifth and a sixth and a seventh isn't very difficult it's mm-hmm. sort of just additive and oh you use semicolons instead of tabs and you know you move things around so um so the so yeah, there's the the technical side which I'm I'm very proficient at, and I understand how to build applications and like how architectures work, and I've worked in embedded systems to all the way up to like web applications. So mm-hmm. really getting into like all the philosophy around computing and different architectures and all this stuff. But then there's sort of this other side of computer science that sometimes goes unrecognized or unappreciated, and that's the cultural side. And that's where like when blockchain really came around and we started seeing like smart contracts. And yeah. it's funny because, you know, 99.9% of the population that, that knows what smart contracts are now don't realize that smart contracts was a concept developed back in the 80s. Yeah. You go back yeah. into the roots of this stuff. This has yeah. all been dreamed up for a long time. The hacker, the uh, um, the crypto manifesto, like all these different, these are these have been around for a long time. And if you go back and read about, you know, Zimmerman and the guys back in the 70s, it really gets into yeah. like the cat being out of the bag. And what are we going to do with these algorithms that we weren't supposed to release? And so you get into this, like, there's the underground culture of this stuff, you know, and that's the cult of the dead cow and, like, going back into, like, some of the old um, Goldstein um, writings and all this kind of stuff. And then there's – but there's this other piece, and that's sort of what drew me down here to Guatemala, and I've been working with UFM on on some of their stuff, um, is this idea that, like, you know, these technologies have a much bigger social implication. Yeah. It's not just – 
getting rich quick on Bitcoin or or like or, or trading you know software online. It's like this is these we're now software is now becoming so sophisticated with such power and such unstoppable force that we're starting to see it like really trickle into the places that it really like has the biggest social impact. You know the the exactly. internet the internet gave us Netflix. It gave us Facebook. It solved the communications problem. And philosophically, you know, 25 years, 35 years later, you can look back at the internet and say, what's, what problem did it actually solve? What solved the communications problem? It made the world a lot smaller. So, you know, in, in 25 years, we'll be able to look back at blockchain and go, what did it really do? And my thesis right now is that it solves the trust problem. The Byzantine general's problem. Yeah, it's the trust problem in society. And so, you know, yeah. we've been building these, these monstrous governments, these monstrous systems that are human, human-powered. And they have, you know, we, when you put humans, uh, fallible creatures in charge of systems, things like corruption tend to happen unless you've got really strong controls. And, you know, there's, there's, all, there's this sort of asymmetrical risk reward um, sort of incentive structure with anything that's human powered. And so I think now we're finally seeing this technology threaten those trust models. And that's the part that powers me. Like, you know, I think it's really cool when we, you know, uh, beacon chains and, and side chains and lightning networks. I mean, the, the, yeah. techno- the geek inside of me, the engineer inside of me really enjoys that stuff. But it's when you get into the, like, the social implications, like how this is going to fix real problems. And living in Latin America, living in Mexico right now and seeing the corruption, living the corruption, like, I mean, breathing the corruption. Exactly. You start to, it, and all it does is it fuels that, that, that passion to, like, keep pushing these, these things forward, keep educating people, keep keep at it man like and you know right now we're laughing because we're getting bottlenecks on ethereum you know when 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 a new app comes out we have this like the network doesn't work right but that shows that it's working it shows we're maxing out its capabilities Mm -hmm, and if mm -hmm. we if we stopped working on the internet in 1993 because our jpegs loaded over a minute we would have never gotten to netflix at 4k on our cell phones on 4g networks exactly like you got it you have to have that perspective and there's a little bit of patience and you get the small wins but like in two or three years like with ethereum i'm a huge ethereum developer when ethereum 2 comes out in it'll it'll probably be another four years before that comes out yeah (laughs) nobody knows right nobody knows it's in the air but it's happening it'll be it's It's ready when it's ready like don't rush it we can't rush these kind of things there's and (laughs) and luckily there's no there's no uh market out there that's telling us we got to hurry exactly we'll get it done but you know we'll look back in two years and go wow look how far we've come Two more years. Look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. I mean, two years in the crypto space is almost eternity. It feels like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two years is like ten years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think I would like to go a little bit deeper into the um, the trust part because mm-hmm. I, I I do see like Bitcoin and uh, and Ethereum as 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 truth machines in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah. And and it's difficult to say this without you know sounding really crazy and like going to conspiracy theory or whatever into it and I think that's one of the biggest challenges that Bitcoin has because it's a communication problem you know actually communicating all these things that it solves all the layers that Mm -hmm. it has and then for the person to understand it it's really difficult and it's even more difficult when you're already so deep into the situation Mm -hmm. like in our economies where corruption is just a given yeah um that you don't see how are you going to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the main motivators for us here at DT is exactly that. We believe that blockchain is what's going to give us the tools to really clean out our economy and create traceable, uh, auditable you know, decision processes mm-hmm. to uh, make people accountable for, for, for whatever they're doing. Sure. 
and and like that we can really prosper as a society because we have everything. I mean, we're blessed with the country that we have, mm-hmm. and we can produce anything. If you can just root out that that exactly. the, the corruption or the the graft and the the inefficiencies, a lot of times. So maybe you can help me uh, explain a little bit uh, about what the Byzantine general's problem oh, wow. is, okay. and 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 how does this actually like go into it? Yeah. So. Uh, Describing the you know BFT is is uh, is is kind of a difficult. It's this is one of the ones that I that I've had I've had trouble with in the past. But essentially, what it boils down to is um, the need for intermediaries to basically certify information. So when you have um, you have a, a space where you have individuals that want to cooperate. Um, you end up, and this is not a. I'm not. I'm not talking about BFT in the most scientific or academic way. I'm kind of explaining how these, how this, what this problem is. Mm-hmm. And so, with with humans, you know, having the communication uh, bit solved, the internet, it gives us the ability to, to cooperate with more people, right? And you're not having to use carrier pigeons and horseback to get messages around. We can do it instantly. But you have to have some way of of mathematically proving that the intent is bound by the person who had the intention. And so there's a way you have to have these these um, these tools in order for you to do that. Um, and that's where that's where the whole you know uh, uh, PKI stuff, public key infrastructure, uh, private public key, you know, um, asymmetrical uh, encryption helps out with. Um, but you also need this this sort of these mechanisms to to incentivize. And that's the whole piece here is like when you look at economics, and I'm, I'm kind of straying around and kind of floating around here, but but when you have um, you have to have you know you, you study economics and economics is really nothing more than the the study of of actions by irrational actors, right? I mean like computers don't know what economics are. They just if if one is bigger than two, then do that. If two is bigger than one, do that. Like so that you have this. Um, that's a very simple way of looking at it. But humans are irrational, so we do all kinds of irrational things. So how do you get humans to cooperate? Well, you can do it either by by force, by gun, or you can do it by economic incentive, right? So what is what is the best choice for me? And we make we make economic decisions, you know, dozens of times per hour. Is it worth me getting up and walking across the room to get my own coffee, or can I, or you know, to to get in my car and drive to get lunch, or or should I get Rappy to to deliver? Mm-hmm. Do, y'all, do y'all have Rappi and Guada? Guadal- we have Globo and Ugo okay. and yeah, Uber every, Eats. Everybody's got a, every, uh-huh. every country's got their own homegrown system, uh-huh. and we'll see. What, yeah, and they all get bought out eventually. And we'll it's have, Colombian, actually. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you make these decisions every day, and so, so, so you really, in order to to really dissect all the stuff that's going on in the um, in the in the blockchain or, or DT space, you really have to go to the roots of all these different pieces. You can't just say, "Oh, economics is like the that's like the charts and the money and the what happens." Like, well, that's one area, but economics is a much different. It's a decision making uh, study. So, how do you get all those people to work together? And that's where you know, if you look at things like the central bank, and that's where you have to start. You have to start at the central bank. You can't look at banking and like your savings account and the interest mm-hmm. rate there, and like and credit cards and the fee that Visa and Mastercard take. You can't start there. You have to go way farther back, way way back to the 1500s, mm-hmm. to the Medici mm-hmm. family. Like you have to go back to the roots of these things and why they happened. Um, it's funny because you'll you'll have a friend of mine, Fred, who I always pay homage to in, in these talks. Like Fred's like he's like the he's like my biggest um, inspiration for 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 going out and, and exploring these topics. Um, but you know, he taught me that you have to go back to like French, you know, liberal theory 
and like to uh-huh. what the French were writing in the 1500s. That's where it starts. Like all this crap, you have to like start there, and you you get into some really heady stuff about you know English common law and like the reasons for all this stuff. But it all plays a part because as you start to build these systems and understand the Byzantine generals' problem, how we are going to how we're fixing that, or how we have for 11 years kind of proven that we fixed that is is how do you build the two words are you know consensus and um, uh, building these ledgers out. And a ledger is nothing more than just a, a tabulation of, of transactions or, or activities. And how do you decentralize that piece? Well, before we had this central bank, we had these before. <laughs> we still do. But we still do, yeah. In my mind, I'm living in a world where we don't have central banks. Uh, we'll um, get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're the ones that are in charge of that. And by, by force, by taxation, they enforce that you pay with U.S. dollars or Mexican pesos or Guatemalan quetzales. You, they're the ones that, in, that institute that thing. And it, you know what? And to be honest, like we can sit here and, and, and as, as these, these people that are looking forward into the future and having these crazy conspiracy ideas, we, we have to also at the same time respect and kind of admire like how far we came with these systems that we see so many problems with. I mean, just drive down the road and look at the look at the skyscrapers and look at the look at all the good that it has, it has brought the world. There's naysayers out there that say yes, but what about the what about the homeless and what about the famine and what about the? But do you know where this world would be without those? There'd mm-hmm. be way more. So you really have to stop and say, look, the central banks did a really great job getting us to this point, allowing for all of this insane amount of, of prosperity and peace around the world. You have to look at those things and take and, 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 and really admit that those systems did very well. But but there's some of us that can say, well, we can do better. Why stop mm-hmm. it good when you can do better? And there's always mm-hmm. a better tomorrow. There's always a better tomorrow. And that's that whole thing behind progress that kind of keeps us up at night and keeps us developing these technologies. Kind of all over the map again, but it's great. It's great. <laughs> I'm letting it flow. <laughs> uh, I, I'm tempted to ask about what's your opinion on CBDCs, uh, uh, cla- uh, central bank uh, digital currencies. Um, well, those are those are really great. Um, they, they do a, a few things. We're, we're talking about anti fragile systems. So uh, make sure I, I get back to to your question. But for 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 listeners, the um, anti-fragile systems are basically systems that get stronger over time. The more they're attacked, the stronger they get. And so um, you see, I think, the, a lot of the more advanced Western um, economies and, and countries have realized that, like, don't attack this thing because it only gets stronger. The more we attack it, the worse the problem gets, mm-hmm. which is why you've seen the United States, using that as a, as a prime example, kind of be a little hands-off and kind of a let's wait and see Mm-hmm. And then you have these reactionary governments in like other parts of the world, like you know Venezuela, where it's needed the most. Mm-hmm. You know, parts of Africa where it's needed the most. Um, and anytime you, I mean, we watch these things. We watch the headlines, right? Because every morning we wake up, we see the headlines, then we go check the market, to see what happened. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, look at the look at the trade volume on 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 the Korean exchange, or go look at the the Iraqi exchange and, and see what's going on. Um, what what the the central bank the the digital currencies um, are um, two things one they're a day late and a dollar short they're they're a little late to the game on this thing like mm-hmm. you should have fixed these problems a long time ago you, sh- you should have not made this a necessity mm-hmm. right and so the trust is already lost like sorry this is and this is you know a lot of the same way that you know how the, the the man in office in the United States got elected. It's like if it had the last three presidents done their job, you wouldn't have had this asshole in 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 uh-huh. in, a, in, in office. Uh-huh. And so if the central banks had been doing their job and hadn't been so corrupt, you know, by by nature, we wouldn't have had the need for a Bitcoin. But 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 that's the way the story goes. 
I mean, there was really no other no other option. So, but but so there's this sort of um, they're they're a little late to the game, and like you should have solved these problems. And the other th- thing is they're endorsing these things when when they use the same basically the blueprint for for uh, Nakamoto's paper. It's like wow, you're you're in, you're endorsing that these things work. Like the actual technology works. Now, what yeah. is it backed by? Ah, that's the that's the that's where they go and you know pump up and say, well, yeah, and, by yeah, and, and and by force or by taxation, we're going to enforce that you use our currency. Well, that doesn't play well with a lot of us. That doesn't play real well with with a lot of people. A lot of people feel that they're, you know, we're we're heritage is we're bound by the land of our, of our heritage. This is where I'm from. This is. The water, you know, these are the, wa- the waters that I swam in, the, the the foods that I ate, and the songs that we sang. But you know, when it gets into economics, it's like if if the U.S. government doesn't, you know, uh, they force me to pay in dollars or I can pay in gold. Well, now I have a decision to make. Mm-hmm. What is that currency backed by? And there's sort of this emperor wearing no clothes possibility in the future where. Why is it backed? You know, in the, in the U.S., for the most part, is there's a lot of geopolitical reasons why the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency, guns, real estate. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons why the U.S. is sort of has that that clout. Um, but we'll see where that goes in the next 50 years. I mean, we're talking we're talking the world's wealth. But they do have a lot of pressure now. I mean, the grilling they did to poor Sook oh, yeah. uh, a couple of days ago, yeah. and the whole talk about Libra for me puts puts into perspective like governments uh, and, and central banks specifically are starting to notice okay we need to do something and innovate or private industry is going to come and eat us up well yeah that's, there's <coughs> that's going to happen there's there's I think that I think the story of of Libra and what you just said is a little larger than that it's not just into the mm-hmm. currency but in the United States and, and I'm American so I mean this is you know uh, in my wheelhouse of course um, but um the, the power and influence in the United States has always been in Washington, D.C. The markets mm-hmm. in New York would have a say-so, but D.C. had the power. And we're starting to see that Silicon Valley is starting to sort of rival the amount of influence and power that Washington, D.C. has. And um, Libra is just one example, but then you have the Twitter and the social media. And, and if you look at who's been being interviewed in, 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 in Congress right now mm-hmm. at, these, at these hearings... They're starting to reel some of that back and say, wait a minute, San Francisco, you, you don't have carte blanche access to media. You don't have like that is not something that you can do. And, and I think it's I think in the next over the next five years, we're going to see so, sort of the, the regulation come down on 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 these on these platforms. Either you're a publisher or you're a platform, but you can't mm-hmm. be both and you can't shape shift based on the political wind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing. Libra is just now you've now you've brought it front and center because now you have. Wall Street and central banks going, hey, we need to we need to address this sooner than later, and so I think they're going to get slapped back pretty big. And I'm not, I'm well, not, they're, they're, I, that yeah. was pretty obvious. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Silicon Valley. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Silicon Valley or the or the mentality that 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 neoliberal. You know, I'm a classical um, liberalist. Let's go into your uh, work on the 721 on the ERC 721 yeah. because I, I think it it also grabs a lot of what we've, we've been talking right now. It goes into the topic of just you know. Being able to tokenize anything, basically assets. Yeah. Assets. yeah. yeah. So uh, at DT, we actually do have a, a protocol that that goes on that. It's called Blockchain Asset Registry, mm-hmm. 
and and you create a little nice QR code and then you can upload your picture and then you have a description of your asset and then you can tokenize it with simple ICO. And that's that's in uh, 721? Yeah. Awesome. That's based on a 721. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so so I do know quite a bit of, yeah. of a 721. Um, yeah, just yeah, this was uh, I guess two years ago, uh, two three years ago. Time, time flies, you know. It's um, uh, yeah. So I saw that um, you know the CryptoKitties thing came out, and it was it, that was sort of the blueprint of the reason for us to develop this this protocol. And I work with Will Intrican and these guys that, and it was all. It, it's funny because people. <laughs> People in industry are like, oh, wow, so this thing, this 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 uh, standard, this bit of code, and they, they, you have to explain what standards are to these. And the, protocols. And yeah, stuff. it's like, so it's a patent? I'm like, no, it's a, it's a standard. And they're like, well, you know, who, who standardizes it? And I'm like, well, we did. And they're like, who are you? And I'm like, nobody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? But it's open source right. and it's in GitHub yeah, and it's, people yeah. use it. And it's so, a standard. <laughs> so we go through the whole, like, I have to go through the ERC, EIP, uh-huh. rigmarole, how that, how that gets put together. Okay. And literally, like, I'm like, no, just go look at the, like, Go look at the the conversation we had, and and one of the big things that I pushed for, and this was I'm I'm rather proud of this because everybody was talking about um, tokenizing crypto kitties and tokenizing like um, uh, swords and shields and games, which is a huge opportunity there mm-hmm. um, to take away the central bank quote unquote central bank of items in World of Warcraft. Okay. Right. So that so because you don't know if 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 uh, Blizzard is printing printing up more elite swords you know the, the top uh-huh. sword like all of a sudden my sword's not worth as much because I don't know but I don't know the, the how many are in the market I can't see the ledger and see. I just have to trust that you know it's there's a, there's a whole so there, that's one area um but the one the one feature that I was really adamant about was the two way um the 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 double con the um the two way uh, uh, transfers, right? Mm-hmm. So, in other words, let's say if I have a thousand dollar sword and I give it to you, why, why would you not want to accept it, right? So, so there was this premise early on in the seven twenty one discussions that that all items had a positive value, and I said no, 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 because what if you have a debt? Should I just be able to send my debt to you and we play hot potato? Mm-hmm. You should have to accept that. Now, if I'm sending a thousand dollar sword. Well, you should probably. There's really no reason for you not to accept it, and in mm-hmm. fact, it would just add complexity to something that you would obviously want. But let's say we had this whole list of like debts. Let's say I'm transferring title from a house, and all of a sudden it's you know tax season comes up, oh, and I'm like, I just I can throw that tax burden on somebody else without mm-hmm. them accepting it. And that was really the, the one piece that I saw in there that was like I was, and I fought for it. You can go through back through the discussions and the the back channels. Well, the back channels I think are closed now, but um, you can go back and see that I was really adamant about that part because I wasn't I wasn't thinking about digital assets mm-hmm. I was thinking about real estate mm-hmm. car title I mean I'm talking I'm talking you want the, the amount of you know a lot of people get into blockchain for the currency reason and they watch the charts on Bitcoin yeah. and, and, and XLM and, and you know all these different you know thousands of currencies that we have out there and they, they, they study the, the dollar and gold-backed currencies and all this kind of stuff. But it's really the currency thing. But if you look at the world and you want to know like where the real wealth is, it's not in the currency. I mean, just I'll give you an example. There's $30 trillion, $30 trillion worth of mobile assets in Europe alone. Well, mobile assets. Asset, mobile <laughs> assets are anything that can be moved. Like uh-huh. real estate can't be moved. A hotel you can't move a hotel from Vienna. Yeah, those to, are not really liquid. But the whole thing is create liquidity, right? Right. But like all the but jewelry, watches, cars, yachts, paintings, all that stuff can be moved, right? So you so there's a, there those are mobile assets. But it's thirty trillion. You talk about the real estate market in the United States, and it's like it's almost too hard to wrap your arms around. 
So when you when you if 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 we were to say Bitcoin's going to be the reserve currency of the world, I mean it's it's that's the currency. Bitcoin, mm-hmm. Ethereum is sort of like this commodity that we use to power contracts. Like it's not exactly. I, I see. I see it more like a pro- programmable layer and easier to. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's got a different and there's a really good analogy I'll I'll talk about just because it's really handy for these kind of things. Um, but you look at the amount of currency in the world. And then you look at the amount of assets in the world. Assets like trump the currency by by 50 times. I mean, there's like 100, 100, 100 times more value in in objects and buildings than there is in cash and like liquid cash. Mm-hmm. It's all denominated cash, but it's you know. It's, so that's uh-huh, uh-huh. that's where I saw the opportunity. I was like, well, okay. everybody's worried about the currency. Like, what if you were? To, yeah, and then when 721 came around, everybody was like real hyped up about. It. And if you go to a lot of these 721 conferences, they're all talking about gaming. Gaming, gaming, gaming. And I'm like, you guys are missing the boat. Just, we're talking about real estate, bro. Uh-huh, I mean, uh-huh. real estate. We're talking billions of dollars. Art. Just. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the power, art industry. The like, artist and the creator in general. I yeah, think. all of that. I mean, and your intellectual property in a, in a, in a much more abstract um, way. So get, get, going back to what we were saying about the currency, and then I said, you know, Ethereum is much like a commodity. Mm-hmm. And these are these are principles that I, or, or stances that I, I came up with over the last five or six years of working in this area living breathing sleeping traveling this is it consumed my dreaming. life dreaming yes yeah, <laughs> dreaming a lot, of, a lot of mistakes being made let's, yeah. let's not forget those um, uh, yeah really really bad trades at 4am that kind of thing uh. um, but the uh, so if we look at, at, at Bitcoin it looks a lot like gold there's a finite amount or at least with gold there's a seemingly finite amount it's not like we're going to go out and find another trillion dollars worth of gold tomorrow. So there's like kind of the safety net that like gold has mm-hmm. only so much of it out there. It's to, you can, you can eight, eight decimal points deep. You can, you know, there's, there's a lot of very, very similar qualities of gold and Bitcoin. And I think everybody in the space goes, yeah, that makes sense. And store of value and means of exchange and all this kind of stuff. Then you look at Ethereum and you're like, well, Ethereum, that's just another cryptocurrency. And and it has a, a value, and it you know there's, you trades just like Bitcoin. It's just you know one twentieth of the or one fiftieth of the cost or whatever it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know it's another currency. It's like ah, uh, not really. In my opinion, the best way to explain ether, which is the currency on Ethereum, is it's a lot like oil. Mm-hmm. It's a commodity, right? So why did so we have to step step back, put in put go into another vacuum, right, to analyze what is oil, right? Oil has a value because you can actually use oil. You can turn it into petroleum to push your car down the road. You can make plastics. It has a utility. Mm-hmm. But the moment that we move to electronic or electric vehicles and we aren't using you know these uh, petroleum-based products, if that were all to vanish tomorrow, oil wouldn't be worth anything. So taking it back to Ethereum. What gives Ethereum value? Well, every bit of Ether that you own, every way, every the smallest denomination mm-hmm. of, is actually measured into a computing cycle. It's an incentive for the miners to execute logic in a trusted environment. That's what you said earlier. Mm-hmm. That is what gives Ether its value. It's a utility. If smart contracts, all of a sudden, if that whole layer was wiped out of Ethereum, what do you got? I mean, it, it, there's nothing there. Like it, the whole value structure. So you have to look at those two things totally different. And so if you look at the way that corn trades, if you look at the way like the needs of the network, like what is the future use of that? Well, you you don't do the same. You you don't use those same methodologies with Bitcoin. They're completely different. You want to do Bitcoin versus you know, and even Bitcoin SV blurs the line. 
Because now, you, now you've got an <laughs> right now you got hybrids and you got all these like wacky systems of people re-engineering, re- redeveloping, splitting, forking, all this kind of stuff. So, um, well, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think that's where it gets really interesting the whole space because you do need to have a fundamental uh, knowledge of, of what you're actually doing and understand the thing to really appreciate what it's going to give to the world. Yeah, it takes big, big vision. Big, you have to yeah. get big on these things. You can't stay. Yes, you have to have, in order to get really deep, you have to have a computer science engineering background, at least a complex systems analysis background. Well, you know, just at least know what it is in a binary system and stuff like that. And, and, and because then you're going to appreciate, but I, I think even you can, because I'm not a coder. I, I actually, I came later in, from fintech, I came into Bitcoin and then moved into that. Um, and started working with with tech people, and but I did challenge myself to you know understand what Satoshi was saying. And now I'm not saying that I understand the white paper because honestly I don't. Maybe 25% of it. Well, you, but you get the, you get the I, premise. I, I get yeah, the you, premise. You, yeah, like, yeah. I understand, and I understand. I can read the code, and then if people that know how to code tell me, okay, you know, it is trustworthy. It sure. Looks, and same way I'm with 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 the algorithms. Like yeah. I, I don't know how shop doors and XS boxes work in in crypto. Like in cryptography, mm-hmm. but I know that there's some really, really smart people that have tested this stuff for 45 years, and they haven't shorted the market on a SHA-256 exploit. Exactly. So I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's about 250 billion dollars sitting on a, on a security. On security, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, talking about the, the tech part, and, and and I think it it's a very interesting analogy what what you're bringing, and it will help a lot for people to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's go into mass adoption. Mm-hmm. Where do you see mass adoption? How do you see it happening? Um, well, right. So, well, this gets back into boy, we can. Uh, I know we can, we can talk and yeah, the pl- no, I, plane will go, and no. we could keep on talking. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I find myself in these conversations just like this till five or six in the morning, and <laughs> and it's like, man, I gotta at some point I gotta call this thing off because we're like down five or six rabbit holes, and I don't know how to get home. So. Um, the uh, mass adoption, that's kind of funny. So if you look at um, if you look at who owns that 17 million bit, let's just talk about Bitcoin. Let's just talk about the, the king of coins. Okay. Um, you know, who owns the majority of, of Bitcoin? It's it's in Western societies. Like it's the United States has probably the most. China has a lot. But China's China, China uses, they don't, they don't see Bitcoin as a future. They see it as a way to get their money out of China a lot of times. Uh-huh. They want dollars. They're still, like, the, the, the Chinese miners want dollars. And Russian. Yeah. They, they, they just want, they want safety. And as the world, and this is a, I don't want to get too much into politics and geopolitics, but, you know, if a lot of those people feel that things aren't going to go very well in other parts of the world, there's only a few places in the world that, that have the demographics and the, the sort of bright future that other parts of the world have. And so, you know, the, the Chinese, and this is like reflective in the real estate market in the United States and the gateway cities, you see real estate prices skyrocketing. It's, the Chinese are coming in and, you know, the, the foreign the foreign wealth that wants to get the heck out of their country. And they're willing I know to, Canadians the, have a, a big problem with that. Vancouver, well. yeah. Vancouver, yeah. The uh-huh. gate, gateway, gateway cities, you can, it's, it's, you can see it. And you're starting to see it in some of the smaller cities in like Kansas City, Dallas, Houston, mm-hmm. sort of in the interior. But... Um, you know they're they're coming in and even with inflated prices they're fine if they can get 50 cents on the dollar if they can get a 50% return in 10 years that's 50% they they got back that they couldn't if they left it in, in yuan or whatever junk currency that's out there WeChat yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i mean if you look at the over yeah there i, I uh, mass adoption so uh-huh. um so there is a sort of inequality that's happened already 
right? I mean, like, and I know several people with, I mean, just insane amounts of, of coin that um, the the game to buy in, right? So, you know, as you, as you, I've spent some time here in Guatemala and like when you drive and, and when I'm get, when I'm in these, you know, I live in Mexico City with 25 million crazy people um, and crazy is a very good way to describe yeah. the Mexican people. I love <laughs> it's, them. It's, I love living there. <laughs> but when you get out into like into the Bajio in Mexico or you drive out through, you know, into Guatemala and you drive out towards like Lake Etatlan mm-hmm. and you go through those, some of those villages, you know, and you see that people are making dollars a day. It's like, how are those people supposed to catch up? Exactly. You know, a do- and, and still, like, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, a dollar today could be worth, you know, 200 in, in 10 years. But how, you know, when there's guys that are sitting on so much coin in the United States, banks, investment bankers, people, I mean, we're talking about a $250 billion market cap. Right now, it's safe. Right. And if, and if the if the eggheads that advise those those sovereign wealth funds and central banks and these, these investment bankers say, you know what? I don't really like this system, but if it, you know, the, the geeks tell me it, it might actually work and there's some merit to it. And once that the light bulb goes off and they throw $250 million at it out of a, out of a, you know, $80 billion portfolio as a, as a hedge, <laughs> they just bought up, you know, I mean, how, like how, how, how are we supposed to compete with that? Like how, how are we supposed to deliver the value to the, the Guatemalan, you know, uh, snow pea farmer? Like how is he supposed to, catch this revolution when you've still got Wall Street doing that. So so that's one part. The second part is, well, you'll see adoption in places that it's needed the most. Necessity is the mother of innovation. And so I think, and I don't think you're going to see the buy a Big Mac at McDonald's with Bitcoin in the United States because you have the dollar uh-huh. as, the, as, the, as your alternative, right? But when you're in Venezuela, oh, things change. Right. Well, probably you'll try to buy it with a lot of bolivars, and you're gonna need like a whole oh, a wheelbarrow load to, of yeah, yeah, to, <laughs> to do this. But but you see what I'm saying? I think that it's the it's the developing world, the, or the places like Mexico is a great. And part of the reason I moved to Mexico for the for the culture, the weather, the people, the the food, the cost of they living. They have a lot of inflation. They do. I get paid in dollars, and then I, you know, I spend in pesos, which is a really oh, great, great, really great system <laughs> to go there. Yeah, uh, and I can't legally work in Mexico. I just have a, a, a just a residence. Yeah, I can, mm-hmm. I can live there, but I can't. I can't take another job. I can work from Mexico, though. Um, yeah, there's a there's a really. I haven't spent a whole lot of time in Latin America. Like I haven't been to South America. I haven't been to Colombia or South. Uh, just got it from Panama, uh, and then but. I have a soft spot for Mexico and really Guatemala now I've, as I've traveled here more and more. I've really, they're completely different countries, even though they share a border. I mean, like so, y'all are 50 times quieter than Mexicans. But <laughs> I mean, like it's not even close. And anyway, the, um, the one, the one thing I love about, about the, the Mex, about Mexico and the sort of Mexican citizenship or the citizens of Mexico is that they really have this disdain and hate for their government. In the United States, we have this sort of oppressive government that, that lives above us, and it's all based on where we come from, England. We're like we respect authority, right? And and in, in Mexico, it works. It works. It, I mean, it kind of kind of works. Yeah, but it, but in Mexico, it doesn't work for the people. And Mexicans, again, this is one man's opinion. So if, if there's any Mexican listeners, don't don't look for me on the street and throw tomatoes. Um, it's a uh, there's this like strong sort of distrust and sort of they put up with government. They don't welcome it. It's like this necessary evil in their life. And they, if, if you know, if, if they were given the opportunity to override government, they would do it in a heartbeat. 
I mean, we're talking the the the, the people out in in the, mm-hmm. the 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 lower class. They would do that in a heartbeat. If I can get away from the peso and not have the value of that thing keep dropping for my exports, they would do it in a heartbeat. And so there's that sort of. Um, I think places like Latin America, you have the education, you have the the uh, knowledge, the and the wherewithal, and the need. It's kind of the right recipe for this part of the world to do it. Mobile penetration as well. You have more cell phones and people actually. Absolutely, and you're seeing and like that need. So all it's going to take is like a you know a, a couple of of uh, hyperinflation you know threats to get people to kind of reach for that the Bitcoin and say I don't want the Quetzal I want the Bitcoin like, mm-hmm. why because well, it keeps going up and I, I my crazy nephew told me three years ago this was going to happen and he's right and he <laughs> and he, he's got a really nice house now and a, a few cars like <laughs> you know that kind of thing it's like so uh, I think I think that's where mass adoption is going to happen. I think um, in the currency side. Yeah, and I want to go into the smart contracts. Smart side. contracts, which is really more where I play, because th- there's it's more fun. Like you can sit there and, and and go on forever about Bitcoin philosophy and yeah. And as you mentioned, smart contracts, people believe uh, it's like new things, but really, I mean, Nick Savo was writing about it in 1994. Yeah, I think it was his first time that that, that he wrote <clears throat> it. He was here at the UFM. Yeah, yeah. He did a couple of talks. Yeah. We, I, I needed to. I went to the three of them, mm-hmm. and it took the three of them for me to understand what so he like, was actually saying. Yeah. But the first two were like, "There's <laughs> something here, and I'm missing uh-huh. it." But I gotta keep. I'm gonna yeah. stay at this. Yeah, you know, in his pictures with old money and little, little pebbles and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, shekels <laughs> and yeah, all the yeah. deep into that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, on the smart contract side, yeah, where, so, where is mass adoption there? I know you're working with something legal on a, you know. Yeah, on compliance and auditing, basically. Uh-huh. I have a startup, Smart KX, and we're about nine months old. We've been my partner Lacey and I, who I absolutely love working with. She um, she came up with this. She's a, a compliance attorney, and she there's, there's certain people in the world. Thank God, there's people like Lacey that that just love financial compliance law, <laughs> right? <laughs> like the world needs people who love financial compliance yeah. law. And so, so she and I were were officing together, and she she heard me talking about this blockchain stuff, and she would she's always asking me questions. She's like this really inquisitive, uh, this really inquisitive uh, mind, you know. And she's mm-hmm. she's a, a lawyer by trade, but she's so much more than that, in, like in in theory and and philosophy and stuff. And so, she's asking me about these smart contracts, and I'm waxing on about these things and how cool they are, and, and well, what does that mean? And show me how to write solidity. And I'm like, well, phew, like <laughs> baby steps here. And so we, um, so I was talking about how these smart contracts work and the, this, this, the, the principles of disintermediation. Like mm-hmm. what is a, what does a broker do? You know, explain to me what a broker, oh, a broker does this. No, 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 no. Dumb it down. What does a broker do? They are the intermediary. They take a fee to do a process that they have been cho- they have been you know knighted mm-hmm. to, to do that piece. What does a bank do? What does a you know what does a bookie do for betting? What does a all these examples? And once she got this principle, she's, she starts looking around in her industry. She looks around and she finds this one little well, it's little because it's a small process tucked way back in these financial institutions. Mm-hmm. I, I, I won't get into it in the podcast in detail because it's. You've, you've got to be I like. See, it goes deep. Yeah, it goes, yeah. But she found this really, really interesting problem that that costs a lot of money mm-hmm. in the auditing process, and it basically she's like, "Hey, Cody, your technology could, you know, that you're working on could probably apply here," and that was this like sort of marriage of like, she's way deep in this one area, and I'm way deep over in computer science, and the people that know what I know have no earthly idea that her her problem exists, mm-hmm. and the people that know about that problem 
are so far away from where I am, they don't know that there's a solution waiting for them. Mm-hmm. So we identified this, and that's just where you tie those two things together, and that's the aha moment that you're going to fix this one. I say small because it's it's so inconsequential in in the grand scheme of things, but the value provided is like is enormous. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 my main um, my main focus these days. That's that's like the startup that I. For like three years, when I was you know coin rich, I was spit like trying all these different ideas. I had these wacky ideas about doing all this different stuff, and this was the one that kind of made it out. This is the one that I was like, "That's the horse I'm going to ride out on." And so, okay. so, um, so you talk with a lot of lawyers about uh, blockchain. Yeah, lawyers and lawyers and computer science guys are or computer scientists are are very similar in the way that they think about the world. They're logic based. Um, Uh, they're methodical. They and and it's funny because prior to, to blockchain, prior to, to all of this stuff happening, decentralized technologies. Anytime lawyers were involved in computer science, it was a bad thing, right? Like the last people you want in the room, like the lawyers are going, "Oh shit, what happened? Like what, what do we do? What like what 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 law did we break that we don't know we broke?" Uh-huh. But now there's this sort of like we're in the same room and. The attorneys are kind of like they've they've realized that they need the computer science guys to explain this to them, as much as the computer science guys need the the help of the lawyers to make sure that what we're doing is you know is, in, in concert. Yeah. But the uh, the the attorney the attorneys have been really great to work with. Um, they're they're a different breed of people, but they're very similar because they're all logic based. They're looking for for exploits and systems, how to get around laws. Like, they're it, it's a really interesting group to work with, and I've I've really enjoyed doing that. Nice. Well, you know, Cody, we've, uh, we don't want to hold you up. You need a plane to catch yeah. and the traffic to uh, to grab. Uh, so thank you for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. I think pleasure. it was, was a great talk, yeah. a lot of uh, knowledge and everything. If, if you want to give a light, uh, last statement, share any links. Uh, or uh, for the techie guys out there, the I think the... the It's not new, but it's it's definitely the most intriguing piece of technology that I've been looking at over the last year is the Mimblewimble stack um, and what it does. The you know, under, there's a, a leap of faith you have to take with the ledger and knowing that that the cryptography works. But when you remove the ledger from the equation, you have to trust that the math is keeping the the balance without showing the balance. Mm-hmm. That's a really big leap of faith that we're going to have a hard time swallowing moving forward. But Mimblewimble and like Grin and all those kind of things are really interesting technologies. If you're looking for something cool to look at and like grind your, your brain on, those are those are great. That's off the top of my head. I wasn't, I've got a thousand other things I could talk about. And uh, you want to share your link? Do you have a, a GitHub you uh, share? Yeah, or? so most people know me as Superfly. Like I chose it when I was like 12 or maybe 11 and I thought and I was a freaker with a like phone systems. Uh-huh. So we anytime you saw, you saw an F you change it to a PH like phone in English PH for phone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, so I'm Superfly with a PH S U P E R P H L Y. Um, and if you Google that, you'll find, you know, all my work out there. I, I was Great. early er, involved really early in The co-working space, I founded the second co-working space in the world 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, worked on hashtags really early with Chris Messina. Um, stuff like that. Bill Conference, opposite of Ted. Stuff like that. There's a lot of fun stuff out there. Nice. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Yeah. Uh, y a ustedes, gracias por acompañarnos. Y como siempre, sigan informándose, educándose, y así pueden participar. Hasta la próxima.
Lo distinto te ha encontrado. Esto es Infinita Podcast. Encuentra nuevos episodios cada semana. Suscríbete. 